Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, we chat with our friend Prescott Perez-Fox in New York City. Prescott is the host of another great design show, The Busy Creator. We'll talk with Prescott about his career path, the challenges of freelancing, and how he's built up his podcast, The Busy Creator. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Obsessed Show, and I'm at Josh Miles. And while you're at it, head on over to iTunes and subscribe to Obsessed Show. We'd love to have a rating from you and help other people find the show. So without further ado, please welcome Prescott Perez-Fox. Prescott Perez-Fox, thank you so much for joining us on Obsessed with Design. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate you reaching out and allowing me to participate in this project, which from everything you described sounds amazing. And I can't wait to, to take part. Well, I'm really excited to get it out into the wild. And uh, of course, once you're listening to this, it will be out in the wild. But uh, at this point, we've yet to actually publish all the episodes. So Prescott, you are um, officially interview number six for those of us kind of behind the curtain right now. Great. Um, And also for most folks, we'll probably uh, interact with this interview uh, via podcast or just audio, but I can tell you're somewhere in an impressive looking building. Uh, Looks like somewhere downtown. Tell us about where we're reaching you from today. Sure. Well, I'm actually freelancing for a firm called Vector Media Group and Vector Design in New York City, and they're a fine group of folks, so I'll give them a shout out. And I've been working with them since October so I, I suppose it's a, it's almost Christmas now. So it's been about ten weeks, and um, it's it's been fun to come and work on site with this group here and do a little bit of different work. Unfortunately, I can't talk about it, but I appreciate uh, Nick Spriggs, who's the design leader over here, who brought me in. We had worked together previously at another firm, and he got back in touch, and we were sort of looking for something to do together. And he got in touch with this new project and and brought me on. So I've been here for a couple of weeks already. Wow, that's very cool. Congratulations on that. You and I met several years ago, I believe either at a brand new or AIGA or one of these conferences at at the after party and we're sort of comparing business card design notes um, and have kept in touch and uh, I'm very fortunate to have had a chance to be a guest on your show as well. So thank you very much for that. But obviously between juggling this gig today and I know you've been a freelancer in the past and and obviously with everything you do with Busy Creator, tell us a little bit about what your what your day or your week looks like right now. Goodness. Well, it's particularly crazy because as we're recording this in late December, I'm just moved and I'm still in the process of setting up and breaking in my new apartment. And I'm actually very optimistic about moving back to Brooklyn and setting up a work from home studio, whatever you want to call it, uh, as well as as sort of taking on a, a new city or perhaps a familiar city, but in a new apartment and getting back in the groove. So it changes quite a bit. Um, the peculiar thing is that, I, you know, I have to be very honest that that this past year, especially the past uh, four months or so, have been extremely tough for me. And I've been through the mill on the freelancing side of things. I'm on the solo practice side of things. And so you could say, okay, well, what were you doing in the first week of September? And that was very different than I was what I was doing the first week of October. And that was very different than than last week, you know. And um, it's like I mentioned just now that. I've come back to work at at Vector as an on-site 
project as a freelancer. And this has felt like a sort of return to form that I, I needed to get back in the game because I had some, without going into too much details, I had you know some some defeats, some localized failures on the entrepreneurship side and on the uh, even on the full time side. That actually earlier in 2015, I was um, working with a, another group, another small design group in New York, and we thought it was going to be full time, and we were kind of preparing for a regular uh, conventional employment, mm-hmm. and it actually didn't work out, and. I think it was mutual, but ultimately it was their decision. And, you know, that that took a toll on me as well as uh, we had a a close friend die, someone from our high school. And so a a number of my close friends really were in a rut in the late summer and early autumn there. So uh, I'm first of all, I'm sorry to hear about that. But um, when you find yourself in kind of those down spots and things just aren't quite going how you want them to, or, you know, something is maybe as simple as just, you're having a hard time getting inspired that day. Where do you go? How do you kind of get back to your, your usual creative self? Sure. Well, that's the the challenge, isn't it? Um, I think what I've discovered, especially this last two years or so is that I need to be around people. And I have discovered the hard way that when I'm left alone, and quite literally alone when you're sort of working for yourself by yourself from home in the suburbs that you know that's a really bad place for me to be that i will dwell on things and i will replay conversations and scenarios and 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 kind of go down the cycles of depressive thought and it's not quite to the point where i you know need to call the ambulance or whatever but it, you know it's gruesome and i i see that Looking backward, the times that I've been like that, the thing that's rescued me has really been other people and not really purposefully, not like someone says, hey, man, I'm coming over and we're going to you know, fix this type of like, – it's not like in the rom-com movies or something where there's that proverbial best friend who like literally <laughs> picks you up off the floor. It, but it's just the fact of being part of something again and that can be a, a sports team or a dance group or – a conference organizing committee or something like that, just being around other people who are going to push you to be back on your regular form, but even on your, your aspirational best form. And I think that, uh, sometimes that's a client, I suppose, but usually it's peers, right. And it's, or it's a mentor figure. If it's not so formal to be a mentor, it's just the, the person you're, who's, who's Mm -hmm. trying to, you're trying to please the person you're looking up to. Um, and so it's good to be back with other people and to, to really try and be your best self for them. Yeah. I think it's so much easier when, when you feel like that person who's trying to get you out of the funk has actually been in that specific funk before they know exactly where you've been. They've been in that trench either with you or they've, you know, seen those same kind of problems just makes it so much easier to take their advice. Yeah. And I think too, you have to really be honest about what you're working on, on almost an hour by hour basis. And so for example, you might get really frustrated that you don't have like millions of dollars to invest in some, whatever it is, some crazy scheme, or you're not going to get to go to South by Southwest. It's like, okay, hang on. What are you doing this morning? Right. Break it down to like half day blocks. Like 
Yeah. Are you backing up your files? Are you keeping your calendar tight? Are is your room clean? Like do the basics, do the absolute basics that can help you feel like you're getting somewhere, like they that you're doing the right things because there's so many things out there in the world that can distract you and you can feel the FOMO and you can feel that that kind of professional envy. Uh, I mean, god, just go on Pinterest and see like how many amazing <laughs> projects right are being published daily and y- you know you have to think i mean i have to take my own advice here not getting bogged down in the things you're not doing but actually taking hold of the next hour and say what can i do that actually makes a difference and that might only be starting something so that might be sketching a project you had in the back of your mind that might be creating a folder in dropbox so you can actually start researching whatever your kitchen remodel project is instead of just whining about it like Mm. do the literal first step because that will only take a few minutes and that's something you can do now yeah i love all the um i've heard so many different uh folks lately in interviews talking about the simplicity of having a quick win in the day like just just make your bed do the one thing you know like you get that one little project done and then you feel like all right cool, got my bed made. Now what? And then you're on to a bigger thing, but that's such an easy thing that, you know, everybody can do in two minutes or something. Um, you know, I think so much of how I have interacted with you over the course of the last couple of years has been through your show uh, the busy creator and, uh, you know, the podcast interview show where you talk to creatives about their processes and their tools and tactics and techniques that they use to be more creative and, uh, more productive. So I'm just curious, like, I mean, that's a cool place to be at today, but I'm curious kind of what, what your origin story is as a designer, or what kind of led you into the creative world? Sure. Hmm, this is funny because it's something I try not to talk about on my show. It's just a pure biography. But I was always a, an artistic kid and I liked comic books and I liked drawing and that type of thing. But I was also kind of a science nerd. And in high school was really the first time I had to make that choice of doing something in, in the mathematics and science world meant you couldn't take studio art. You couldn't take animation, whatever it was. And so I thought, okay, being a nerd – And being sort of artistic, design makes sense. And I was actually fortunate that in high school we had a graphics design program and I worked on the newspaper and on the yearbook. And so it was really like Mm -hmm. a production cycle. I mean this is 1997, 98 and I'm 16, 17, 18 years old and we're like going on press check at 11 o'clock at night and we're doing paste stuff. And I mean at this point it was very analog, right? So we're working with uh, camera ready artwork and with (laughs) things that literally have glue and you know what I'm saying? And, but it was great to feel that workflow, but ultimately I made the decision to study engineering at the university. And so everyone always says, how'd you go from engineering to design? And, and the question is really, how did I get out of design and go to engineering in the first place and come back from it? Mm -hmm. So there are some principles in, in my case, mechanical engineering that I really enjoyed and I still do. And, and I think that engineering is very similar to design in that you're looking at the world slightly differently. And you're looking for possibilities and especially possibilities to simplify something, to integrate different technologies and, and processes and to really help someone out in, in solving a problem. But especially the kind of problems where you say, oh, wow, that's so simple. I never would have thought of that. And that could be you know, creating an on-ramp for a busy part of a highway or it can be whatever, redesigning a stationary so that it just looks beautiful and um, – I don't know. I think more people should study engineering. But anyway, let me talk about the rest of it. Um, after, I, after I got my degree in mechanical engineering, 
I went to graduate school in England. And this was, in many ways, the kind of superlative year of my life because as much as it was further education, it was a re-education. And I was dropped into this leafy suburban uh, south of England town, this medieval town. And there was literally a castle. And we played rugby on the grounds of the castle. And I was like, could this be more English? <laughs> and <laughs> and there were, I was also exploring this new world of design. Like anything that came from Europe never reached the United States, especially Philadelphia, especially college, American college life with its gilded walls, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and I started just, uh, just taking it all in. And, it, and this was almost an era before social media, right? Before Pinterest, before YouTube. So you kind of had to take it in in real life and just walk around and be like, oh, here's a, a, a clothing brand that I've never heard of because it's from Belgium. Like, let me go inside. And then you start looking at the hang tags. You start looking at the photography. And then, and then next thing you know, you're having these crazy conversations, very grad school, about um, cultural identities through brands and, and all this other type of stuff. So that's really where I guess I became a professional designer, right? Not just looking for layout and how to like save a JPEG, but actually – examining cultural context and to work in branding. And that's really been the focus of my work in the 10 years since, since I finished that program. I think it's interesting that your um, path took you from a very production oriented role in high school of more of the yearbook newspaper route to, you know, very technical through the engineering piece to um, once you found yourself uh, in grad school, looking at the details of a hang tag like that becomes very, you know, that's much more ephemeral and detail oriented. And where do you find yourself most consumed with design right now? What's what's the thing that you kind of nerd out over the most? Well, I love to see not just a great execution, but an integrated execution. And so this means, especially in the realm of brand identity and logo design and that sort of thing, packaging, because that's where I work, that if you see a logo that's beautiful or interesting, Mm -hmm. it almost doesn't count unless it's part of a system. And I mean, there are websites, you know, Behance and Logo Pond and all these other ones, where it's just a logo by itself. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Who cares? I mean, where did that even come from? Was it actually used by the client? You know, there's so many ways to almost cheat that. And it could just be stock art, who knows. But when you see something that's maybe, again, to use the logo as an example, it's a simple logo. I mean, I'm thinking of H&R Block. It's just a green square. But then you start seeing the system, right? You start seeing signage and uniforms and the vehicles and, and the ads and whatever else it is. And it, the system starts to make sense. And you see that this project is bigger than just an identity. And it's, it's actually now this entire kind of visual language and this environment, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it doesn't have to be complex. That's the beautiful thing. So again, perhaps this comes back to my engineering and science background that when you see something that's, that almost is um, made more elegant by its simplicity, or in this case that you, you add versatility rather than complexity, you know what I mean? Like intricacy, mm-hmm. then that's where I really geek out lately. Um, and it's hard to find those, honestly, because you think about things that are in the public sector like museums or cities or neighborhoods or whatever and then like that's a lot of like red tape and a lot of just internal resistance from the multiple organizations that are involved and the scale of those projects takes years. Yeah, Something no like kidding. the Olympics, it's, it's a miracle that anything can happen on that crazy scale, right? 
And, but when it's, when they pull it off, it's like, oh man, that's, I got so much respect for that. I'm so glad that that came into the world. And even if nobody really cares, just like, okay, the Southwest of Portland now has a new, like, you know, chamber of commerce identity. Like, I mean, some people might really geek out about that, but to a lot of people, it's just the background noise. It's, it's just the new kind of wallpaper of, of the environment. Um, but I think it's really cool when that's done. Well, shifting gears a little bit back to your show, what do you think has been the most um, satisfying or most uh, surprising guest that you've had on the show? What's what's your favorite interview so far? Oh, goodness. There's a lot. Well, they're all my favorite. They, <laughs> <laughs> Which is your favorite child, Prescott? Exactly. Exactly. My favorite child. Well, here's the peculiar thing that some of the interviews, and this happens to every podcast, some of the conversations you think, oh my God, this person is going to be great. They're such a character. I know their work. I've seen them, whatever, speak at a conference. They're such a, a wacky person. And then they get on the mic and they're like, um, yeah. So, <laughs> and you know, they kind of have nothing to say. And it's like, oh, that's so frustrating. Whereas other people, you don't know anything about them. And that everything they say is just really interesting. You're like, oh my God, really? Like, wait, let's mm-hmm. go into that. I didn't know that. And um, so in, in some ways you say, well, you got to do your research, right? But it's, ha- being surprised in the moment has actually been kind of fun. Um, to answer the question, I think that one of my favorite interviews was with Matt Cremona, who is a woodworker and furniture maker in the Minneapolis area. And he is totally self-taught. He studies on YouTube and mm-hmm. reads books and stuff. Um, but he's a software developer and a video editor by training. And I think he did his master's in, in business administration, like in economics as well. So he's now working on YouTube and producing these videos and doing all this crazy stuff. And, and as well as building a community around his woodworking projects. And I think that's really remarkable that someone can be so multifaceted, especially being self-taught. So there's no whatever agency boss saying like, no, you can't. Do uh, furniture projects. You're a video guy. You know, he just said, whatever, I'm just going to start doing it. And that was a really great interview. Uh, Let's see. My goodness. I also enjoyed the InDesign episode, which was David Blattner and Anne-Marie Concepcion. And we, I mean, it's a focused episode. We just talked about InDesign because they're two trainers and speakers about InDesign and they put on the InDesign conference. So we're, I mean, it was a big nerdy episode. But to explore those single topics with people that are really passionate about that, is always entertaining, even if you're sort of playing the role of the reporter and you're not supposed to have fun with it. You're just supposed to kind of get the content out there. Now, I think those are both really great examples. And, you know, talking about um, Matt, I think his name is the woodworking guy, you know, what a modern day renaissance person. I mean, to be a, a craftsman and a software developer and then to have his own online enterprise kind of to top that off with his YouTube work that's that's really cool and i think at the same time the InDesign episode you know it wasn't just about buttons and menus and shortcuts you know there was there was a lot more into that and made it a very engaging episode even if it is just about one piece of layout software exactly and i mean what we talked about and what i continue to talk about in in the program is that 
is really how are you using these tools? Because tools, I mean, you could spend all day just listing software and and especially like if you want to get into furniture and stuff and like lighting, you'd be like, oh, what kind of light bulbs do you have? It doesn't matter what kind of light bulbs you have as long as you found something that works for you and you can speak about that. Maybe you tried three or four different ones and you arrived at that conclusion that, oh, I need the Home Depot brand because the Philips brand are inadequate or whatever it is. Right. So it's not really about the tool, but the application of the tool. And in software particularly, I think folks need to remember that. It's like, by all means, geek out over a sketch plugin. Like, that's great. But how did that change? Like, what's the before and after where you discovered that plugin and started using it uh, as part of your workflow? Well, I think as many designers can attest, it's sometimes easier to make recommendations when it's someone else's business. And in your case, you know, you're creating all of the content and all of the design and marketing for the busy creator. So what's that like sort of being your own client? And is it, do you find it difficult to, to stop and to say, okay, this is the final thing? Or do you just, is it easy for you to just crank on that stuff? Yeah, oh, man, this is very peculiar. And I've actually been thinking about this recently because typical style of a designer and at that, a branding guy, you know, I'm looking at the materials that I did about two years ago <laughs> and I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I should redesign this brand. Like Maybe there's a 2.0. Yeah. And uh, I mean, on the one hand, that's not a priority at all. Like if I update the logo and the typography, is that going to change the, the way that my show is perceived? And, like, no, it's not. But it's something that's now in the back of my mind. Um, but it, it's peculiar too because I kind of built the Busy Creator as a as a brand first podcast, right? If that makes sense. That I wanted folks to come to that site and when they're looking for show notes or links or whatever they're looking for, they're just going to say, "Wow, this is a tight project." That this is a integrated website that goes right into the show and all the show notes are there and really trying to adhere to best practices. Mm -hmm. But and a lot of that means having a consistent visual style and knowing that, okay, the episode artwork is in the same fashion and it's done with the same typography and the same color palettes are being used and this type of thing, not, you know, not to be repetitive, but just to be consistent and to be coherent and, and kind of, like I said, kind of keep, keep things airtight to have this operation that is uh, just running properly. And, and I think I've done that well, but the thing I haven't done well, like you just mentioned, is the marketing, the sort of outreaching um, external side of things. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, that when things are tough personally, it's really hard, at least for me, to get into that mode, into the, the whatever you want to call it, business development and outreach and send 50 cold emails and be like, listen, I don't even want to go outside. I don't want to write to 50 strangers and tell them like how awesome my design practice is and how awesome my blog is. Like that it, it, in this moment, that feels completely in <laughs> and maybe I should just whatever, fix my newsletter. I don't know what it is. So I, but unfortunately I think that that's, that's now starting to, yeah become a, a, a bit of a blind spot or a bit of, a, of an Achilles heel that I absolutely have to go on offense if I want this project to be anything, let alone a moneymaker and a future perhaps replacement for a job down, down the road, that getting more folks to join me on the show, getting more people to listen or to pay attention to the articles I've written, like that all takes mm – -hmm not just the defensive kind of, you know, gardening, I, I like to say, rather than hunter gatherer, you kind of have gardening and then building and the, you know, whatever, you have all these different pre-industrial metaphors. 
that it's not enough to just have a good site that's built with best practices and has a lot of resources. You actually have to go out and tell people about it. And that sounds blindingly obvious, but if it's not really your personality to do that and to do that feverishly, then it becomes a challenge. Um, so this is what I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing in the start of 2016 is to reaching out to other folks, other podcasters, other websites, producing content. And then, I mean, I hate to say producing content because it sounds like, like a kind of a starchy filler, right? But like writing good articles, writing relevant articles that folks will actually want to read and then promoting them on multiple sources and asking people for feedback and thanking people on a, on a very granular level, um, doing things that don't scale as the, the common parlance is. And to do that, I think you need a certain amount of confidence. You need a certain amount of momentum, mm-hmm. right? That personal momentum, almost like the quick wins that once you get a few of those going, it feels a lot more natural. And and I think moving is going to help with that, that I'm, I'm back sure. in the groove. I'm meeting more people, even if it's only my roommate's friends and coming back to work and meeting 20 something people that work in this office and, and just telling them about my project and, and uh, maybe some of them will become listeners and, you know, maybe some of them won't, but that's, that's how it goes. You, you know, you got to get out into the world and start helping to celebrate your project and other people's projects too. And I, I think you mentioned this before that one of the surprising things about doing a podcast or indeed any side project is that there's always unexpected benefits. And in my case, in the case of the busy creator, and I hope this like this for your show, that I have really enjoyed, I've genuinely taken pride in celebrating the accomplishments and the goals and the life uh, moments of, of the people who have joined me, my guests on the show. And, you know, uh, the same guy, Matt Cremona, just had a baby a couple months ago. Like, I, you know, I never met him in real life, but I'm like so happy that he had a baby. And then he's building a crib and taking uh, photos and videos of how he's building the crib. So that's, I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe I'm, that I get to, you know, I get to retweet this and like help promote this. Uh, Same thing with other people when they come out with a new episode that's interesting. I'm, I'm like completely happy to share that. And it's not because I want to kind of get a residual click of something like that. It's not, it's not for me. It's actually for them. And that's been a really great side effect. Well, hey, sort of on that thread, I guess, for anyone who's listening today, if you're interested in not only checking out the Busy Creator podcast, but maybe you think you'd be a good guest, be sure to hit up Prescott. What's the best way for somebody to um, to put in a request for you to interview them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love that. And in fact, for people to get in touch in general, like whatever you're interested in, if you want to write more or if you have some actual feedback, like I'd love to hear it. And the way to do all of those things is to go to busycreator.com. There's a bunch of social media links at the bottom of the page. And I think there's an email form on the contact page. If if it's not on the main page, it's on the contact page. But I I try to make myself very easy to get a hold of, especially through busycreator.com. So head over there and follow any of the links. And it's all me. I don't have virtual assistants. I don't have staff. So definitely just, you know, send me a quick hello. Um, a tweet is literally the least you can do. Just be like, yo dog. Like, I mean, <laughs> seven words, seven letters, right? you know what I'm saying? Like, let me know you're out there and you heard this. I, I really appreciate it. And I want to get in touch with some of the folks listening. Very cool. So maybe it's podcast related or maybe it's branding related, but What's a dream project that's that's out there on your radar? What what do you hope to tackle next? Jeez. Well, I think you can answer this two ways. And I, I hate to 
sort of not answer it directly. But there's the dream and then there's the kind of sadistic dream, right? So I think that I would love to do, and this is the latter category, to take something <laughs> that's a hot mess and bring order to it. And I'm thinking of, unfortunately, the U.S. Post Office. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite things to pick on. Oh, geez. Now, because... Now, this is basically in getting into the realm of service design, mm -hmm. which is something that I really enjoy from afar, but I haven't been able to work on it myself. And that's kind of my own career frustrations, whatever. But you see firms like IDEO and Frog Design or whatever, and they, they have multiple disciplines working together. So you might have someone that's an architect working next to a writer, working next to uh, uh, someone that deals with fragrance, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. really bringing all the disciplines, all the senses to solve a big problem and to create an, a cool experience. And I, I mean, I hate to sound like Hollywood about it, you know, who let's create an experience. But think about the post office, right? It begins the moment you walk up to the door. What kind of handle is it? What kind of signage is in the front window? Does it say the hours of operation? Is it a handwritten sign by some disgruntled employee? Or is it a beautiful poster? And then you walk in and is there a line? Is there lighting? Is it what and whatever? Now you're covering five different disciplines. And I think that could be so tremendous when it's done well. Um, the case I always use to to serve it as an example, and this is, I guess, a company I would love love to work for is IKEA, where mm -hmm. Every aspect of your shopping experience is, is intended, is designed. And you walk through the door and you go up this big escalator and then there's a sign that says start here and you start in the bedrooms and then you go to the offices and, and whatever. And you're having this experience the whole time. There's a dotted line on the floor with an arrow like telling you what to see and there's all sorts of information, little tags, little charts and whatever telling you how many square footage this mock bedroom is. And it's, everything is so purposeful. Uh, which is what I love. And then you go to the post office where everything is accidental and you're just like, oh my God, what happened here? You know, that even if you tried, you couldn't put together a system that was so convoluted. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I mean, that's one, that's a kind of sick dream. I would also love to work on something like an Olympics. I mean, maybe not to that scale mm -hmm. at first, like maybe something like a Best Buy of retail experience because it, it is an identity project, but it's also touching on these other elements. Like you get to work with typography, you get to work with email and apps and with promotions and, and kind of marketing strategy. And, um, maybe even with creating rituals like they do at in and out burger and have like hidden menu items. You know what I'm saying? Like, is yeah. that a graphic designer's job? Maybe, maybe if you're in the room and people have cool ideas, it doesn't matter who came up with it, whether you're I don't know, a packaging production specialist versus an architect. Like that's the cool thing. Um, so I would love to work on a project like that that's really multifaceted, even if it's at a small scale, even if it's a, mm -hmm. a neighborhood coffee shop where you really get to not just do the business card, but you get to do the entire store experience again, to use that word. Yeah, very cool. I, I would definitely agree with most of those things. I always tell people that I have a stamps.com membership as my tax on not having to go to the post office. It's, it's totally worthwhile. Even if I don't use it for a month, that if I need it next month, I didn't have to go to the post office. So it's fine. What do you think you'll be doing 10 years from now? Do you think busy creator will, will still look similar to this and you'll kind of have, you know, multiple things going on, or do you feel like kind of the, the training and coaching piece will have evolved further or what's your, what's your vision for, for the future? Oh man, these are tough questions. This is like 
me on the couch in therapy. <laughs> that, no, well, I want to I want to loop around again to what I was mentioning before the unfortunate passing of my friend Ethan, and he and I were high school chums, and uh, when he died, uh, my friend Joaquin asked me to to look for some photos of him, and so I went through all these photos from high school. And I was also in the process of, of kind of rearranging my house at the time. My sister moved back in, so we had to kind of move some furniture and things. So I, I, I kind of touched every possession I've ever had, both in the effort to, you know, like I said, rearrange the, the house and also to look for photos. And it had been 10 years since graduate school, and I had been working in New York for 10 years. And if you asked me on day one, where would I be in 10 years? I mean, I would have thought absolutely anything because, and in this case, it was again, these, one of these kind of local slumps where in some ways I felt like I had gotten absolutely nowhere in 10 years. I was still, or I was once again, a freelancer. I was once again living in New Jersey. I was once again, kind of going from project to project and, and being frustrated and not having a million dollars in the bank. And I was like, wait a minute, 10 years and nothing has happened. But at the same time, I look at my portfolio, I look at the conversations I've been having, I look at my own sensibilities and I say, my God, that was a long time ago. Like I am a completely different person. I've learned so much. I've read so many books. I've traveled to other countries and made friends and had amazing conversations, you know, some of them on a podcast. Um, so it's tremendous. I, but to answer the question, I think the next 10 years, uh, are really going to be tremendous because I feel like I've paid a lot of dues and I know that that's kind of an old concept, right? But it's like, how much longer can you, can you weather, right? Can you resist, yeah, go through another recession, 10 more years of freelancing? Like, I don't think I can do that. And, and I think that, I mean, you know, what are the alternatives, right? But I feel like this is one of those things where after 20 years, maybe I'll become an overnight success because after 10, it's been, it's not been enough time. The question, I think, is that whether you're going to be a solo practitioner or an entrepreneur or whether you're going to be working for someone else, and I just don't have the foresight to answer that because we live in a time where careers have seasons and have chapters, and you can ask someone who is so happy to work for themselves and who is doing great work and winning awards and all this other stuff, and you talk to them six months later, and they're like, oh, yeah, I took a job at so-and-so. And you say, what? Why would you ever take a job there? And, and they have their own criteria for making that decision or the opposite, right? You can look at someone who has big corner office, big responsibility, national, if not international, recognized brand. And they say, yeah, screw it. I, I just left to you know roast coffee in my cabin in upstate New York. And, and you just think like, wow, I would never would have saw that coming because it was so unpredictable or, or whatever. Um, as far as the busy creator, I mean – like I said, it's been two years since I'm doing that project, and I really thought it would, was going to be an overnight success. And I thought that if I had my full-time effort behind it, if I had this energy behind it, that people would just come and it would become huge. And then next thing you know, everyone's asking me to consult and asking me to speak and asking me to coach and doing all this other stuff. And that, yeah, none of that really happened. That I, I learned a couple of really hard lessons, a couple of roundhouse kicks to the face. And uh, I mean, especially like to get specific, I never realized the, how tough it is to do promotion or to do marketing. 
and especially on the side of where it's basically the publishing industry, right? So as a designer, you're a sol- you're a, sorry, as a designer, you're a service provider. And that's the same for a personal trainer or a lawyer or a plumber or whatever it is. Like most of us in the economy now are service providers. So we learn how to talk to clients and how to send invoices and that sort of thing. But the idea of going from service to content to write to publishing is really weird. And it's like, how the heck does this even work? Like as a business model, right? I, okay, so even if I wrote a book, even if I wrote a 200-page book and however many hours that took and got it edited and whatever, made the cover art, would anyone read it? Like how would I get the word out? How would I convince people to read it? Would there be some kind of call to action where if they read it, they should talk to me? And then it, it, it just opens more and more questions. And to do that by yourself is extremely tough. So, I, I mean, I'm going to keep doing The Busy Creator. And I'm doing it as a podcast now because I know that I don't yet have the sheer numbers to mm-hmm. just pop open a, a sidebar business out of it, right? The, whatever it is, the consulting, the digital products, conferences. Like, I don't have thousands of people saying like, dude, when are you coming to Denver? Because if I did, I, I would do that. I would create that little conference in Denver or whatever you wanted. Um, so I really got to make the podcast great. And every time I write an article, even if it's only once a month, I got to make a great article that will endure and people can find it in months and say, oh, I'm so glad I read this. And when I meet someone in person, I got to really tell them the, the things that they can find on the site that are most valuable. Um, so it's a lot of going back to square one and, and just keeping on doing it. And I, I think that um, perseverance is kind of underrated in online marketing, online business, whatever you want to call it, blogging, that a lot of people talk about hustle. And I, I'm glad that people like Amy Porterfield are finally starting to be vocal about how they don't like the word hustle. Um, and I agree that mm-hmm. it, it kind of scares the pants out of anyone who's slightly introverted but has ambition, has career goals. And you say, holy crap, this is what I got to do. I got to be out there barking like I'm in some, some Hong Kong street market, right? And, and aside from the slightly illegal, slightly dodgy connotations of hustle, and you think about the people doing it, it's very sales-oriented, very extroverted, very much like business guy. You know, hey, I went to Harvard. <laughs> Here's my contacts. And, 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 and it's like, man, that's – can we use a different word to talk about success? And I think perseverance is, is probably 65% of what you're searching for at least is the idea of like keep doing it, keep making it better, look for the small improvements, come back tomorrow – Find the time, find the one hour if that's all it takes per week. Like if that's or if, if that's all you can manage per week. If it's Saturday afternoon and you just put whatever 90, 90 minutes into your side project, it, you'll build that body of work, but only through perseverance uh, and endurance. And right, so maybe that's instead of hustle, we should just say endure and see where that gets us. So I happen to know this guy who's getting ready to launch a podcast, and uh, I know him pretty well. Uh, so he might be curious if you had one piece of advice for what would you would tell yourself before that first episode went live, what would that one thing be? Oh, well, definitely get some help. And I don't mean help in the sense that, oh, I need someone who's a master. I'm going to pay this guy $100 an hour. And he's going to tell me how awesome my kilobytes per second are. Like, no, don't do the project alone, whatever kind of project it is. I think anything is made better if you can team up with someone. 
And yes, there is some overhead in managing a second person, mm-hmm. right? In coordinating and making sure that you're you're both talking to each other, whatever you want to call it. But for a podcast specifically, it, it's really like seven different things because you have programming, you have logistics, you have all the web stuff, all the audio stuff, this whole, like I mentioned, online promotion, marketing, outreach, like there's a lot of different facets to it. And then if you're a designer, if you're a graphics guy, then on top of it, you want to start making nice cover art, nice infographics, whatever. So you have so many different aspects. And depending on your personality, some of them are going to feel really natural and some of them are going to feel like absolute torture, uh, right? And the classic example is editing, that some people hate editing their audio. They hate hearing their own voice. They hate the repetitiveness of it and the fact that you have to listen to the stupid thing four different times uh, and cut down on whatever, a 90-minute interview to 12 minutes. Like that's really tough to do. Other people are like, yeah, I would love that. I could do that all day. That's That's my jam. Just don't make me go on Twitter or whatever it is. <laughs> so that is absolutely my top advice is that if you're doing a podcast, if you're planning to start a podcast, Josh, then <laughs> find someone who can help you with the project, even if it's only 10% of the help, right? Even if it's even if the only thing they're doing is scheduling new interviews six months in the future or reaching out to potentially interesting folks just to gauge their interest, this kind of single stroke uh, you know, facet, get someone to help you and to take some of the energy and time burden off your plate. Yeah, that's the, I think that's really great advice. I do have somebody who's going to be helping me with editing this start out because number one, I know if I did the editing, I would probably spend 10 times longer on it than I need to because I'm super detail oriented and obsessive about that stuff. And I would not be happy with like, I'm happy with other people's product when it's a B minus, but I'm not happy with mine until it's a, you know, 99.9% perfect or maybe 101. Um, so it's nice to have that off of my plate. And then I've got a really great team here. Who's helped out with a lot of the branding and graphics and yeah, well, once the site is live, of course the website will be done too, but we're still working on that here internally today. Sure. And the good news is that you get a lot better. And that's, I I don't know, not really an an actionable piece of advice, but for editing, for doing show notes, for conducting the interviews, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you listen back to your old shows, you're like, oh my goodness, what was that? But you get so much better doing it. And and I guess there's kind of milestones. Like you you listen to your, some people say 11, like if you can get to 11 episodes, there's a good chance you can get to 50. And if you can get to 50, there's a good chance you can get to 200 or whatever it is. I don't know the numbers, but a lot of people do fall off in that first, you know, 15 to 25 episodes. And depending on the time constraint, you know, if you're doing a daily, but you only get to 15, well, two weeks, you've just come and gone. That's nothing. So you do get a lot better. And especially if you can experiment with workflows and, and being systematic. Like I use uh, Freedcamp and I have a, a Kanban board that has all the steps involved in producing an episode. So when I pop in, I know exactly where I left off, which steps are in progress. And without that, I would be so lost and overwhelmed on each on each episode. Oh, that's great. So you're going to definitely have to experiment with your team to see who's doing what, how the handoffs work, where the clumsy points are, where, you know, where, where do you need to collaborate versus where do you need to just shove something from one guy to the next? And there's really nothing yeah, to say about it. Just say, all right, ball's in your court. Yeah. Um, so you, you will get a lot better. Don't worry about it. Very cool. Well, Prescott... I'm sure I will be following up with you with even more questions about podcasts, just maybe not 
not online in front of everyone else, but I really um, am grateful for everything you've done with Busy Creator. And I think it's a, a very cool podcast series. And I always love tuning in every week to hear who you've interviewed most recently and to, to glean some little bit of information and learn from from other people like us. So thanks a lot for being on here today. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And I've really enjoyed watching you and your team and your success over the last, especially over the last two years, but really, I guess the last five years or so that we've known each other. And um, I hope to be a part of this project and help out. And absolutely, um, like I said earlier, to anyone listening, definitely get in touch and let me know if anything here was useful. And then if you want to check out my show, if you have more questions, please get in touch. I'll be happy to direct you to 10 different podcasts you should be listening to. Or if you need something done in New York, you know, maybe I'm not the guy, but I'll help you out and redirect you to someone else in the community. So that's the, don't be afraid. Just get in touch. Yeah. Very cool. And I know you gave us a little bit of where to find you online already, and we'll be sure to link to all of the appropriate places and anything else we talked about today in the show notes. So thanks again for being with us, Prescott, and thank you for being obsessed with design. All right. That's show number six officially in the books. Thanks so much for joining us today and for our chat with Prescott Perez Fox. And head on over to obsessedshow.com to get all of the links and notes and things that we talked about today. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Also, don't forget to visit iTunes and subscribe to the Obsessed Show and follow us on Twitter at Obsessed Show. And I'm at Josh Miles. Obsessed Show is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located 13 floors above Monument Circle in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. Check us out online at milesherndon.com. And thank you so much to our friend Cassie Joe for providing her song Matchbox Girl that you're hearing right now and at the intro of our podcast. We're going to be giving away a few of Cassie's CDs, so be sure and tweet at us this week at obsessedshow.com and say you want to be entered to win one of Cassie's EPs. Want to hear more interviews like this one? Tweet at Josh Miles and tell me who you think I should interview next. Catch you next week.